Thanks, Amy. And uh, as a moment of levity, they say of the evangelical church, we don't make enough space for grief and lament and suffering, except for this church doing our eight-week series on the book of Job. So uh, Job talks there about being tossed about in the storm. Just where we find ourselves in the series is that uh, next week, Abby's going to be preaching about God speaking out of the storm. Um, and so um, it's a great joy to be with you. My name is Scott. I'm the senior pastor of Bethany. This is my wife, Heather. Uh, and I'll give some more context why we're talking today about relationships. Uh, but first, let me pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this day, this moment, this text. We pray, God, that you would open us to hear more of what you want to speak into every one of our lives through these scriptures about relationships, about presence, about paying attention, about how to grow despite our season of suffering. And God, we know that this has been a difficult season for many, and this text evokes a lot of pain. And so would you be present in the preaching of your word to encourage your people to more fullness of your spirit? In your great name we pray, amen. Well, hey, I'm Scott. I'm the senior pastor. I also spend a lot of Sundays at Bethany North that Heather and I planted 11 years ago, but I like to be here about once a month or so. It's a great joy to be here, joined by my wife, Heather, who is um, not only just a lay minister in the church over the last 17 years ago through a lot of different ministries at Bethany, she's also a professional relationships. She's a licensed marriage and family therapy, the owner of Navigate Family Therapy. She's been doing uh, individual and couple relational work as a therapist for decades, so she really is an expert of relationships. And she's also a woman who 13 years ago lost her full-term baby, our son, Fisher Samuel, who would be 13, but who died four days past his delivery date. And what does faith look like when you've been through seasons of great grief and struggle. The reality, and you see this in your bulletin, grief destroys relationship. And this book is about relationship. Job, it really is. So today we're going to talk about how grief wants to cut us off from ourselves and from God and from others, but in Christ there's a better way. Yeah. Thanks for that introduction, Scott. And that's our story of our greatest loss, but I know there's many other losses represented in this room, many other griefs, and I would just want to make space for that. There's no comparison when it comes to grief and loss, uh, whether it's in our bodies, the loss of some capacity, or in other relationships, or maybe in our identity, or in our finances. These are just things in COVID, especially with so much sickness and so much loss um, that we feel, and God can be with us in this. Uh, Job, in particular, is this entire book about suffering. So many questions, where the very point is that there aren't often answers, right? This is the very essence of life in some ways, is that there aren't always answers. And yet, we still look for, and I believe we can find, some truth, some wisdom, some comfort, and I think some important guidance in uh, this book where answers often elude us. One overall theme is the importance of our presence, which can be so difficult in the face of great pain. We want to run from it. We want to fix it. Um, there's a universal feeling of inadequacy of words in times of great loss. Everyone feels anxious when those we love are hurting. We just want to have the right thing to say. We want to have the right thing to do because we want to provide comfort and we want to give some sort of relief. And this is all with good intention. 
But often when people come with answers, we can feel like Job in 16.2 when he says, you're all miserable comforters. You know, when those that are coming with answers uh, come, it's not always a comfort. And so I think we can embrace this idea that there are going to be questions. Oftentimes we, uh, in our desire to give comfort, we can circumvent the comfort that would be offered in our mere presence. What does it look like for us to be presence in present in pain when there are no answers? Yeah, and like I said, this is our fifth week of this series. So we've been in a while, but if you haven't heard all of them, certainly we're in the, the context of Job has lost 10 kids. He and his wife lost 10 children, all 10 of their children. He lost his financial health and his physical health. And then there's over 30 chapters of him trying to sort through his pain. He has three friends show up, later a young man who comes out of the storm and talks about wisdom. But it's all about how do I make sense of the world in a time of pain? How do I make sense when I've been through something really hard? Because grief destroys relationships. When we lost our son Fisher 13 years ago, it was, you know, our valley of the shadow of death moment. Your story is different. You likely have been through really traumatic, hard times. And like Heather said, there's not really a comparison in grief. Like we can share our stories, but we've all been through difficult times in our truly horrific time. You know, we had just received that notification that our son had died in utero. There was no heartbeat. The doctor looked at me, said, Scott, he's gone. And then Heather turns to me and said, Scott, I promise to be good to you. I promise to be good to you. And I remember being taken aback a bit because I was like, well, this isn't about us. And we were, you know, and I'm grieving, we're crying, whatever. But for her as a mental health professional, the statistics of divorce and grief and loss destroying relationship were flooding her brain. She said, I promise to be good to you. What does it look like to cling to one another in the midst of great suffering? That's what our Christian faith, it doesn't promise us avoidance of suffering, but a presence within. And that's really what we're going to spend today unpacking, how to be present. Mm-hmm. So Job is this strange book, right? It's got all this suffering and how does God allow Satan to cause the suffering and a lot of questions, like we said but it is wisdom literature. This is how it's categorized in the Bible. And I do believe there are profound truths in here that we can look at. Most suffering seems senseless, doesn't it? And in Job, we just really get to live that out with him. Let's look here at some of the wisdom we can gather. The big idea about Job that we see in these passages today is that there is comfort in presence, presence to self, presence to God, and then presence to others. And first, we're going to look at what does it mean to be present to yourself? Uh, Presence to ourselves or what our body is saying, what our soul needs, what our spirit is telling us, this is presence to what God can be speaking to us. Now, it's a very therapist thing to say, self-care, right? To be mindful of our self-care. And yet, oftentimes, I hear Christians in particular asking, is self-care self-indulgence? Is this somehow selfish to be thinking about maybe what my body needs? But I would argue that this is not theologically sound. God created our bodies. He knit us in together in the womb. He created Adam and Eve, and he formed our bodies. There's so many verses about how our bodies are, in fact, a temple and a way to draw close to God by listening to our bodies. His purposes are for us to feel this presence to God within our bodies, for us to feel pleasure, for us to feel delight, for us to have relief from the pain. You know, if you look at Job, he doesn't do what a lot of us in American culture do. He doesn't pull up his bootstraps and get back to work and plant that field the next day and start having kids again. What does he do? He stops. 
He's present to his body. He's present to his grief. He sits through that pain. You know, for many of us, we sometimes push through, right? We push our bodies past what we're capable of or what we know is healthy for us. I remember as a young mom, we have four young kids, and there'd be times where I'd say, I don't think I've eaten anything today. Or there are times in starting my business where I'd work, you know, long hours. I'd stay at my desk 12, 14-hour days, and these aren't healthy practices, right? God invites us to pay attention to our hunger, to our desire, to our needs, to our pains, as a way inviting us closer to him. The separation of body and spirit is an idea that both Catholics and Protestants have kind of created this sort of false body dualism, that somehow our spirit is closer to God than our bodies, and it's a separate and distinct thing. And the Bible tells us that our bodies are, in fact, an avenue of connection to God. He is in our bodies. God created us as these whole beings, and there is spiritual significance in our bodies, the very place where the Holy Spirit dwells, the very place where we act out and live out our purposes that God has for us in our life. If we're not taking care of our bodies, we're not taking care of the very vehicle that God gave us to experience Him and to live out His purposes in the world. So paying attention to our bodies And to our needs is very, very good. Stephanie Paulzel wrote the book, Honoring the Body, and she says this so well. The Christian practice of honoring the body is born of the confidence that our bodies are made in the image of God's goodness as the place where the divine presence dwells. Our bodies are worthy of care and blessings. It is through our bodies that we participate in God's activity in the world. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to give you a very therapist thing right now, a mindful moment. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, get comfortable in your chair, and just take a really deep diaphragmatic breath, which means just breathe deep into your body. And I want you to listen to your body for a moment. I want you to pay attention. What are you feeling? Where do you feel some aches, some pains? Do you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders? And you need to release that to God. Do you feel hungry and at some point today need to eat a really good meal? Or maybe that ache in your body is telling you it's time to make that doctor appointment or physical therapy or just get out and move. In the darkness of winter, maybe we need to get our endorphins going to feel delight and pleasure. Maybe there's some sadness arising. Just pay attention to what's happening in your body. We were made to be connected to God through our body. You can open your eyes, and I invite you to take another deep breath just because it feels really good. It's good to t- take those moments through the day. Self-care is not self-indulgent. It is actually stewardship. It's stewardship of the place where God dwells within us, and his very purposes are the presence to self as a pathway to presence to God. I think that's so good. I just, when you talk about Job just sitting in what was going on for him versus rushing out to activity, I think is really helpful for me. Uh, What Job does is uh, in his presence of self, he does model a deeper intimacy with God. We are building towards that. And if you listen to Job 30, he he says, he pays attention to his body. Listen to Job 30. Have I not wept for those in trouble? He says, has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. He doesn't try to say, but it's no big deal. He's naming like there's a churning. There's an angst. And this whole book of Job is full of a man teaching us how to be present 
to his hurts, his aches, his pains, his lament. He's teaching us in many ways how to be human again. And, and this is a moment for some of you in crisis or somebody you love in Christ, like, oh, this is good. But for a lot of the rest of us, is like, okay, I got to think about like, how do I get to Wednesday of this week? Like, this isn't even just a moment for our deepest, darkest valleys. This is also good wisdom for the dimes of mediocrity when like, okay, it's year two of COVID or, you know, you're, you're dealing with the struggle with work or family or family of origin or church or faith. Like, what does this look like to really be present to ourselves? I had a buddy, uh, I have a buddy, I love him. And uh, he's been through kind of a hard season, a bit of depression. I called him just to check up on him the other day. And I said, how is it going with your soul? And he said, you know, it's better. And I said, well, tell me more. Like, we need better stories, right? I'm like, give me some, like, he's like, you know, Scott, I, I, I was doing good things, but I wasn't feeling God. I, I was successful with some things, but I wasn't satisfied. And then he said this thing that just ripped me. He said, you can only fake it for so long. And then I, I'm like, what did you do? It's like, well, I, I did some of the work. Like I, I went away by myself and I, I, I prayed and I invited God into some of my anxiety and my depression. And I got some outside help and some resources. And I've recommitted to my relationship and to my kids and so it's not, it's not over in a moment, but I'm committed to paying attention to what's going on within me to get better. That's where presence to self, it's, it's not, we're not trying to answer any of the big pains, but we're saying that solutions are out there through Christ in paying attention. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this story, Scott, is that, you know, there are practices that God invites us into where we can feel better and we can feel closer to him. And, you know, I, I want to keep us away from the idea that this is some sort of workspace faith, that we have to do things in order for God to bless us. That's not it at all. I think the difference here is a reframe on that is I think of Psalm 23 and this table that is laid out before us, that God lays out a table before our enemies. I just picture this abundance of delicious food on this table, you know, that we can partake of where the things, the practices that Scott's friend is talking about are here. They're in the Bible. They're in these spiritual practices where we can take and eat and we can draw close to the presence of God in order to be with him in our suffering to find that comfort. Um, With God, we can come freely to him with our lament. And this is so evident in the book of Job. We cry out in our suffering and we invite God in as a friend. And we'll talk later about how to do friendship really well and what, what Job tells us about that. But for the last year and a half, I have been a part of a really special experience with Ruth Haley Barton's Transforming Center. I'm getting a certificate in spiritual transformation and going on these retreats every quarter. And we've been studying this idea of how we kind of draw closer to God with spiritual practices. And one in particular has been the prayer practice that I see all over Job. This passage that we read today is this prayer practice that I've been learning um, actually from David Benner's book, uh, Opening to God. It's a great resource. But he talks about the idea of praying to God in sort of a narrative fashion. Instead of coming with sort of the Christmas lists of wishes or, you know, the here's all the ways I was you know, sinful today and I need your forgiveness and not kind of some of these strategic prayers, but in just a narrative form of prayer. God, here is my day. Here's what I'm going through. How could you do this to me? This is what I'm enduring. This is what I'm going through. And there's a beautiful intimacy. I've been trying this prayer practice. There's beautiful intimacy into coming to God like that, like you would a friend, just saying, here's what my day was like. I bring this before you. And there's new ways that God opens my eyes to where he's moving in that. In Job 7, 
20 in particular, this is such a clear moment where he says this. He says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? I just sort of see him like stomping around, talking to God in this prayerful narrative way. And there's intimacy here, right? Because in those safe, bonded, close relationships, such as in a strong marriage or in a strong friendship or a parent and a child, we can come to those relationships and say, how could you possibly hurt me like this? Because it's safe to say that. And God invites that kind of connection and Job demonstrates that. Another form of prayer that we see here is this lament, this crying out. And we see this most in particular with Job's wife. Job's wife actually says to Job, are you still maintaining your integrity? She says, curse God and die. She is angry. She is lamenting. She is hurting. Guess what? She lost 10 kids too. She lost everything too. They are struggling. They are suffering. And she is bringing this lament and this hurt and this pain, and she's being genuine about that. Another form of prayer that can be very intimate with God that some of you may have heard of is paying attention to these moments of pain through our day, moments of desolation and despair, or the moments of consolation and comfort. And this is this prayer practice that some have heard of called the prayer of Eximen. This was created by St. Ignatius of Loyola, who was drawing people into more contemplative prayer practices. He formed the Society of Jesus. And this is just really special way of bringing to God, this is what's happening in my day, the highs and the lows of my day. And it's inviting God to see where God is moving in those consolations and inviting God to move in the desolations. Mm -hmm. This prayer practice is something that I first discovered as a young adult in seminary. I was getting my MDiv at Fuller Theological Seminary, and I learned this in a spiritual uh, class I was in. And it just felt mind-blowing to me. Like, what a beautiful way to engage God, and I've done this most of my adult life. But this is something any age can do. My 12-year-old daughter is going through a season of experiencing some anxiety, and she ends her day now with a little prayer journal where she writes the highs and the lows of her day. And guess what? She feels comforted by that. She lets that go for a moment, and she invites God in, and she sees patterns where God is moving, where God is moving in the desolations or the pains, and where he is moving in the good, and she can sleep better. Isn't that cool that God and neuroscience go hand in hand? I love it when stuff like that comes together. But we can bring these moments to God as a sign of welcoming his faithfulness to us and a a way of connecting intimately to the presence of God in our lives. Yeah, and in this way, our prayer practices of just naming what is going on within us become like Ebenezer Stones in the book of Samuel, of like laying out, God, you've moved in this way. Or I love how your language was there, inviting God to move in something that hurts. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm a doer. Like, let's go start a ministry. It's like, oh, how am I feeling? That's harder for me. So I've been just praying. I've been writing my prayers out in a journal and inviting God into that. And it's been incredible. The same practice that Heather's talking about here. So this this, this presence to God and God within. And Job models this in chapter 30. I want to point out kind of a narrative change to me, not to geek out. I was an English uh, teacher in high school in Los Angeles, but like there's a perspective change from third to second person in Job 30 that I think is really significant for us. It's easier to talk about God or about our pain, more difficult and the opportunity invitation to talk 
to God about our pain. Look at Job 30 here. And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his power, God becomes like clothing. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me in the mud. I reduce to dust and ashes. We already heard that. But then listen to the perspective change. Instead of just talking about his pain, he starts talking to God. I cry out to you, God, and you don't answer, but I stand up and you merely look at me. There's not an answer there, but there's an invitation. There's a vulnerability. There's an honesty that for some is hard to handle. I just find it so honest. Job is so honest. And I just can't encourage you enough as, as the people of God right now. And if you're here, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm personally. You're the people of God formed in his image. Talk to God about the things that are breaking your heart and the things that you're seeing God already move. We want to be mindful that God doesn't cause our pain, but we invite him in to the things that already hurt. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And to those who have been called according to his purpose. That verse has been misinterpreted for really my entire life. We know that in all things, God works for the good. It's not all good things. Nope, Bible doesn't say that. It's not like, oh, if you follow God, it's gonna be all good things. No, but in all things, God can work. For our good. Mm -hmm. God didn't cause Job's pain. Satan did. Reread chapter one and two. It's Satan that strips him of his life. God doesn't work like that. But God can be present in pain, not as a quick fix, but in the long journey of presence. (laughs) Author Rob Reimer says it's like this. It's important for us to believe that God can redeem the pain in our life. Not that God sent it, but that he redeems it. He turns the arrows of the enemy meant to destroy us into the scalpels of the great physician meant to heal us. It gives us hope in every circumstance. God didn't cause your pain, but he redeems it. He really longs to redeem it. And for many of you, you might be in a long journey of redemption. That's okay. A long, long journey of seeking to see God move. God will sustain and heal you even in the things you don't understand what's happening. This happened for you Mm -hmm. as you were grieving the loss of our son, where people had that question for you, like, how do you hold grief and belief in God Mm -hmm. in the same hand? Yeah, that Romans verse really resonates with this story of a time that, you know, just a group of girlfriends from my neighborhood after the loss of our son wanted to go out and be together. And so I, I went and, you know, all of that is really much of a fog. I don't remember much of our conversation or what I said, but something about what I said, I'll never forget something my friend said to me. Um, I probably talked about going to church or something about my faith, and she said, oh, you still believe in God? She goes, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Like, as a Christian, you're not supposed to have bad things happen, right? And you had this horrible thing happen. I, I don't understand that. And just the way that she said that was just earth-shattering to me because I thought, this is the very thing getting me through right now. But I understand that. And it's an understandable question, right? It's a question we as believers might even ask, like, how do we believe in these times? But this isn't the promise of God at all. We don't only have a God of miracles and moments that don't make sense. We have a God of intimacy that walks with us in our pain, and He is present, and that presence to him in that time was so dear and so close that I, there's no way I could sort of not have my belief. And, and I want to honor that some people don't always feel that presence, and that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't feel that presence. But God is not only a God of miracles, but a God of intimacy and connection in quiet ways too. Yeah. 
That's so good. Like those of you that are like retweeting right now, like I'm going to send that out to my 12 <laughs> followers, right? Like it, the miracle is the intimacy. Yeah. We want the miracle. We want the resurrection. We want all of the good things on this side of eternity. We don't read Job on this side of the cross. We read it on the far side. The miracle is the intimacy. The miracle is not me getting that job back or having more money in my bank. I want those things by my flesh. The miracle is on the far side. that We can have intimacy with God. So it's presence to self. It's presence to God. And ultimately, it means that our relationships on earth get transformed. Presence to others. That's so important. And I will just say, this has been a season for loneliness. You're feeling lonely? Me too. Like, we're so cut off from other humans. And so Mm -hmm. this presence really helps transform our earthly relationships. Yeah. The final point that we want to talk about is how Job shows us this kind of guidebook for our presence to others and how this can be a pathway to healing too. The same practice I talked about earlier, that prayer of eczemin, this can be experienced in relationship too, with others, with friendships, with marriages, with even coworkers and and communities. Um, Job relationships in Job are a big part of the narrative. And we can offer intentional connection, those highs and lows, as a way of bringing comfort and kind of our humanity. I, uh, John Gottman at the University of Washington, he's an expert on relationships. And he in particular talks about what do people who have long-lasting, meaningful relationships, what do they do? And what many people do is they have a 10 to 15-minute daily check-in. And all this is is a form of the prayer of eczema, as I read it. Check in. Talk about your highs and lows. And the other person simply listens. And then you transition that. This can be done with families. And so many families do this. They do their high and low at the dinner table or maybe at bedtime before prayers. I want to encourage you to see that as sacred. This is something really special. You know that when a kiddo or a human adult knows that they're going through something very hard in a moment, that somebody is waiting to hear their day, that somebody will listen to how awful this moment is, we can sustain that. This is God in us too. We can get through hard things knowing somebody is going to care that I went through this hard thing and I can be stronger because of it. So there's some very practical ways that we can be there for each other. We see this in Job, and you know this is some of the field of therapy that I bring to you as well, of how we can be present to people in a very impactful way that actually makes a difference when we don't have answers. The first is simply reflecting back the words that people use. Just pay attention. What are the words they're using? And don't just parrot them back, but use that word again. It sounds like things are really hard. Reflection, and then uh, this happens with, you know, like you might say something to Job's wife such as, I am mad with you. I feel angry with you. That's a, a moment of reflection. The second is validating, saying things like, that makes sense. And I don't get it, but I get how you can feel that way. That's really validating to say it's okay that somebody feels the way they do. Asking deepening questions is a really beautiful way to connect. So these are all really good tips for when you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do. Asking a deepening question such as, I don't know what to say, hmm, tell me more. Tell me more is a beautiful, there's a book written by it uh, with the same title that I love, but it's a beautiful phrase that just invites the person who's talking to know that you're really listening. Mimicking body language is a way to form resonance and attunement. These are therapy kind of terms, but that feeling of being felt or seen or known by somebody by mimicking their posture, 
their tone of voice can make somebody really feel grounded. I bet you can all picture somebody. I have somebody in this room right now who does this for me. Picture somebody who listens really well, who makes you feel heard, who makes you feel seen. And these are the practices of presence that can provide exceptional comfort in times of pain. You can be this kind of friend with some of these just really practical little skills, and you can also reach out. And I would say that in times times that we're living in now, people will say, I'm so alone, I have no one. And I want to encourage you to take the risk to reach out to somebody. And you might even have to teach them to be there for you in a certain way, and that's okay. Relationships get cultivated because of the risks we take with each other. And you might simply say, I don't need you to do anything about it. I just need you to listen. Mm. And that's okay. And that's how we get through times like this. We take the risk to reach out. And those that we can be in relationship and experience presence and resonance can bring comfort. I had this experience after losing Fisher where a friend would call daily for about a month and just say, how was today? And at that time, I remember just looking forward to that end of the day moment where I could get through the hard parts of my day to share the moment of the worst parts of the day. And then those little moments that I didn't expect that were good, because those come too. And they are there for us. They're little breadcrumbs sometimes that just kind of nourish us along the way, but they can be good. And so this friend would call sometimes 11 at night when our babies were in bed and say, how was today? And I remember her, telling, her being able to tell her things like, um, I remember going to the store one day, finally kind of venturing out and the meals are winding down and it's time to go get some groceries, two and a four-year-old at home. And um, I went through the grocery line and I had no idea, but the grocery person recognized me. And and as I was checking out said, oh, where's your baby? How's your baby doing? And it just devastated me. I didn't expect it. I had no idea what to say. It's awkward. I'm standing in line. Others are waiting. I don't want to ruin her day by telling her. And so that was this worst moment of my day that I could share with my friend or with Scott and just say, oh my gosh, this was awful. And then those breadcrumb moments where I could say, oh my gosh, I got giggling with a tickle, you know, fest with my, my little ones today, and I didn't expect to laugh. It's been so long since I laughed, and it felt really good. So just to have somebody's presence and resonance with you is very comforting, and it's how God made us to be in relationship in the world. Mm-hmm. And the final point I want to make is that we all grieve differently. And so if you're grieving as a family or in a relationship or as a... Um, organization, if you're grieving with others, just know that people will feel different things in different times. And sometimes, you know, Scott might feel really angry at our loss and I would feel just weeping sad. Or we might feel, one person might feel numb and one person might really want to talk about it and another doesn't. That's okay. Resonance doesn't mean that we have to be feeling or experiencing the same thing at the same time. We can actually go through grief together and find comfort in saying, you feel this way, and that's okay, and I feel this way. And we can honor each other in that, and that's a really beautiful way to come together in presence. And that's ultimately where we want to leave you. Like our dream, we have a lot of dreams for this church, but certainly one would be restored relationships, recognizing the way in which the pandemic has just destroyed intimacy and spiritual friendship. We're present to, to God within us. We're present to God uh, outside of us or present to God in others to, in order that we would have stronger relationships. And that's what we said at the front end. The grief wants to destroy relationships. But Joe points to the word of God coming alive in him and, and relationship being restored. 
And that's ultimately what we want to be about, better relationships here on earth. You know, Vivek Murphy is the current Surgeon General of the United States, and he spoke at a prominent U.S. medical research institution, about 400 people present. And he said, how many of you present see emotions as a liability as opposed to a place of strength to be mined in order for transformation? And almost every hand went up in the room. A play, emotion is a liability. These are leading medical researchers. That's a narrative we have to change. Meanwhile, in Great Britain, starting in 2018, they appointed a minister of loneliness. Actually, that's a position in the government of Great Britain. We don't have a United States minister of loneliness. We don't have a Seattle minister of loneliness. We have only you. And may you be ministers ministering to people around you who are lonely, who are cut off. Who, who want to know that God is real and can be trusted with their lives. May you know this to be true for yourself. And may you feel equipped to be in relationship with people around you, present to them, present to God, present to yourself. Job said in Job 23.10, God knows the way that I take, and when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. And so may you as a church, may you move through this season mining for the gold that God has for you. Staying committed for any goodness that God has for you, for transform relationships with others, for God, for yourself. Let's pray now. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment, for this text, for the difficulty of the embracing mystery. We don't want to embrace mystery. We want to embrace goodness and easier stories. But alas, this is the story of Job. And alas, for many of us in the church right now, this is our story as well. So God, will you teach us how in these difficult seasons through presence, you can lead us to more transformation, more hope, more goodness. God, we just pray that you would send us out today encouraged by who you've called us to be, ministers, caring for others, being cared for ourselves, people with hope restored. And all God's people said, amen.